UK Motor Talk. Well, hello and welcome everybody to what is our hundredth podcast. Can you believe? I'm not sure that I can. To be with you. Yay! One hundred. I think mean, you guys obviously have nothing better to do with your time than listening to us gabble on about cars, which is great. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. I'm Graham. Good evening, or whenever it is. Ah, oh, yeah, it still is. And I'm Dave. How are you all doing? All right. Not too shabby. I think pretty good. I mean, this is our hundredth podcast, seamlessly edited together by Andrew which is which is good news for all of you thank you for, for listening if you've listened to us from the beginning that's just frankly incredible uh, I'm not sure that I have but hey it's great to speak to you all and it's great to be here again so what have we been up to since the last time we met uh, well we we did an track day didn't we which was, we did uh, well, we should apologize well, for being it was, late it was rather good fun for me I think you had a, a less happy day of it didn't you although you did fall asleep when we were sat in the pits waiting for a red flag to clear so that's a how, uh, how wiped out you were with the day, I think. Yeah, I, I have no idea what it was that I, I caught off my boy uh, and subsequently have given it back to him, I think. But yeah, I just, I'm just not feeling good. Sore throat and it, it wasn't the virus because I did approximately 78 tests or something in the course of a week. But certainly I don't think I've ever been so tired to the point where I didn't drive in the morning, as you say, came out with you. We, there was a red flag. We sat in the pits and fell asleep in the race car with it running. I think that's got to be a first for me. It's unbelievably loud in there. Well, I'd have decided it was uh, it was more comfortable for me to fall asleep in there, actually, than most cars, because I had the hands device on, so my neck could only flop so far forward. So actually, if I had fallen asleep, I wouldn't have woken up with a with a stiff neck. So I was actually quite comfy in there. But it was uh, no, it was a it was a, it was a, a great day out as always, despite your um, your illness. I was told that you managed a, a decent day of it, and it was uh, yeah. There was some uh, some mightily quick cars going round there, though, weren't there? When um, Ridiculous uh, radicals, were, T1s. Yeah, well, I did manage to overtake a radical at one point. I'm fairly certain he was on a cool-down lap, though. But um, I think we'll uh, we'll just say that I overtook one, which was quite good. The speed that some of the cars, uh, particularly, as you say, the radicals in the aero cars, but even the Caterham 7s, the, uh, the academy cars that were there, were carrying into... Um, into McLean's and Coppice, just as they fire it over the blind crest. It was like, does, has, has he forgotten how tight that corner is? Oh, no, no, he's made it round. OK, that's, that's how quick they go, is it? Fair enough. But there was, uh, no, there was, there was some good uh, good cars of roughly our power and um, and grip as well around. We had a very good scrap with a Lupo GTI towards the end, didn't we? And I think there was yeah, a competition to see to see who could spend most of the lap on three wheels. Uh, but looking at looking at some of the photos on the um, uh, sighting laps, there's there's a great shot of the car on three wheels, isn't there? Because the sighting lap's got a bit pacey towards the end. And it was, uh, no, it was just a, a good day out, well run as always, and, and hats off and a big thank you to all the marshals for looking after us all day and, and keeping the flags out. And luckily we didn't, uh, didn't put out any flags ourselves. There was one moment at Redgate, just as the tyres were starting to overheat, where we nearly ended up in the gravel trap. But That was a brown flag, that one. Uh, yeah, brown flag and brown brown tire. Only the left rear tire ended up in the gravel trap, which was uh, mm. good. The rest of the car managed to stay out, so I'm going to count that as uh, as keeping it out of the gravel just about. And to be entirely fair to you, that was because there was a, a Clio 197 who binned it at least twice whilst uh, whilst we were on track. He binned. Bearing in mind that I only managed something like eight laps before I came back in because I wasn't feeling particularly good. 
he managed to bin it whilst I was out as well. But we were following him into a corner. He really, really went, really, really went for it, didn't he? And then really, really went sideways. And I think a lot of what was happening was us trying to avoid, or you trying to avoid, just T-boning him halfway through the Yeah, corner. I wasn't quite sure which way he was going to go or uh, which Every way he was going to end up or if he was going to make it. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll blame it on him. Why not, indeed? But, no, a, uh, another cracking day out, and I've, uh, I've edited some of the videos together into something vaguely meaningful or useful so we'll uh, we'll see how it goes I'll, I'll send it over and we'll uh, we'll try and get that on youtube so keep an eye out for that it'll be um it'll be a watch anyway donnington is a brilliant fast flowing quick circuit with lots of uh, lots of speed carried through the corners isn't it you you 100 miles an hour through some of the bends and um yeah it's it's, it's good fun. it's just such great fun if, if you Want a decent track day experience? Get out there and, and enjoy it. If you're if you've got something that's, that's set up to go through the twisties, then fantastic. You'll you'll be able to catch some of the quick stuff through there. If you've got something that has the legs, then then on the straights, then you'll probably walk away from everything else. But really good fun. There were some some de- decent tussles even with uh, with Porsches through the corners and on the straights. Really, in truth. Yeah, um, but yeah. There was um and uh, and as always at these things, just a, a nice friendly atmosphere in the pits as well. There was the uh, the Lupo that we uh, had a scrap with on track. We were had a good chat with afterwards, and uh, and a couple of lads from the sort of oh yeah. I'm guessing I'm guessing my parents' neck of the woods, judging by the accents that were going on. Leeds and they uh, yeah Leeds Leeds Barnsley um, Yorkshire area, and uh, yeah there was the the lad next to us. Bless him, he'd uh, I think he'd paid <laughs> what was it. <laughs> 10 grand 10, for this pounds. Um, was it a Westerbusser it was a Westfield Hyabusser Caterham thing wasn't it it wasn't quite a Caterham or it maybe started off as a Caterham but wasn't quite there in the end it had a Fireblade engine in it and I think he'd paid 10 grand for this the night before yep. which makes me think it wasn't a Caterham if it was a Caterham it would be uh, um, probably yeah, closer to together double from that. carbon fibre yeah, yeah, random. I mean, sort of quite, you know, lots of, you could see some money had gone into it in the first place, but uh, yeah, Honda um, Honda Fireblade engine in it, and uh, which he managed to uh, blow up after one lap, which was um, unlucky if you'd paid 10 grand for it just the night before. Very unlucky, well, I would it's, say. It's better than that, I think, because he'd bought this car, he'd gone to go and buy something else, a Westfield or something similar, pitched up. Didn't like the look of the Westfield. Saw this, whatever it is, it was a, a kit car on a Q plate, but largely carbon fibre bodied, a little bit rough around the edges, but with this, um, an in inverted commas, bulletproof fireblade engine inside. So Perfect he... track car though, wasn't it? Not not too shiny oh. that you were precious about it, but yeah, yeah. serious enough looking. Yes, so it had a full cage and everything else, so there, there was some intent there, wasn't there? He'd managed to drive mm. it, because it's road registered, the whole way to Donington, from wherever he bought it from, which is about two hours, but hadn't managed to bring his helmet with him for that bit, so had to had to drive at night with with nothing covering his face and no heater. So it was incredibly cold, and he was just being constantly hit by flies to then turn up and go out on track, at, do the sighting laps, and then on literally the first race pace lap, blew a hole, uh, an actual hole in the side of the block. And as supportive as, as a bunch of mates always is, of course, when he pulled, <laughs> pulled back up into the paddock, Everyone was just ripping it out of him, weren't they? <laughs> they were absolutely well, were. They, they, they were ripping it out of him, but then his uh, his mates who turned up, they had a, uh, a BMW 1 Series, didn't they? And then uh, another guy had uh, his uncle's or his granddad's Westfield that he'd inherited. 
Um, yes, yeah, that had an oil leak and then a, a fuel leak and then a something else leak. So he was just going over and robbing hoses off his mate's car, wasn't he? He was like, well, I'll, do, I'll wait till he comes back. It's yes. like, well, isn't it better to do it whilst he's not here so he can't say no? Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, have you got any spanners? Um, so he's ripping hoses off it left, right and centre yes. to replace all the, all of his hoses that had exploded. So, But, hey, at least at least they got one car running for most of the day and that's, that's what it's about, isn't it? Well, we took Thunderbird 2 with us and filled it absolutely full of, of tools and once again... Uh, the fist was faultless. We didn't do anything other than adjust the tyre pressures up and down and check the fluids. We didn't need to top anything up. We didn't need to fix anything on it. It just went out and it was abused to the point where, uh, and you'll see this in the, in the video, so if you want to see those, check out our socials, Facebook, Instagram. We're at UK Motor Talk everywhere. Um, and you'll also see that there, uh, there are points where the, the car's so loaded that, as, uh, as Jim has mentioned, that the wheels are off the ground at the back. Um, because it's, there's been some, some keen steering going on there. But yeah, we, we'd had this, this whole boot of tools and just basically used it to fix this Westfield. So it was, as you say, that the, the fuel breather had disappeared. All kinds of things went wrong with their cars. I'd had that in an, an E46 M3 that was, that was pretty serious. Great, great bunch of guys. Completely unprepared for going, <laughs> for going out on track. But you, you know, God loves a trier and, and to pick something up the night before and <laughs> drive, drive it down with no windscreen. No wipers. Oh, and and also he didn't realise until he'd uh, he'd handed over the cash and was trying to get it out of the culdy sack that he bought it from uh, that it didn't have a reverse gear either. Did yes, I've forgotten about this. Yes, he, di- he didn't quite realise it, but luckily it was light enough that you could pick it up and turn it around by hand almost. So if you just wanted to yep. pick the front end up and pivot it around, then you could have done. He was quite keen. I mean, the first time we <laughs> we sort of properly met, came over and asked if we were from around here and if we happened to know if there were any bike breakers because he was quite keen on the idea. <laughs> of getting another engine and putting it in before the end of the track day so he could get back out which, <laughs> which I think is a, was, a bold move there was bike racing for the uh, going on at the weekend wasn't there so yeah, I'm not, not sure what level of bike uh, was it super bikes was it so all the bikes, all the big yeah. teams were turning up and you know when the, when they'd been there all day they got there before us and by the time we left for the evening they still hadn't finished setting up the trucks the tents the awnings the flooring this that the other it's you know it's a a different league but we did sort of say well there's there's lots of super bikes here so if you want a bike engine i'm fairly certain they'll have something serious lying around you sort of went ooh and wandered off for a little bit so <laughs> i dare say the uh, the cost of a uh, a factory team prepared superbike engine was probably a little bit more than the car's worth although it would have made it go well and probably been quite reliable i think did he keep his receipt? Do you know? I think it was. Uh, I think it was sold at scene. I mean, that must admit, it's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an odd one. If uh, if you sold a car to a chap in the evening and first thing in the morning you got a phone call to say the engine's blown up, you'd say, "All right, well, where are you, Donnington?" Goodbye. What Castle Donnington? No, Donnington, the racetrack. Right. Okay, you're on your own. So there is there is a little bit of a well, if you've taken it on track, that's kind of on you. But bearing in mind it was the first lap, I think that was. Um, I think I'd have been making a phone call to the guy to say what's going on but I think he he'd managed to find a bike engine for I think it was a couple of hundred quid wasn't it not too far from uh, from where he was at home so by the end of the day he made a phone call and, and sorted the bits he needed and um, and then said he was going to consult YouTube for how to do an engine swap on it and, and off you go so he left happy and in good spirits so he had a good day out regardless God bless YouTube eh
I managed to, to get out over the weekend as well for the first time in a long time and go on a mini run, which was a, a bit of a surprise. Uh, it was a a surprise 40th birthday for someone. So we disappeared out and um, arrived where we were supposed to be. But when he happened to pitch up, surprise was somewhat ruined by the fact that despite the fact that all the minis, none of us could park. So a load of SUVs had taken up all the spaces and were trying to get past each other, jammed the car park up. And what he did was arrive just a melee of just about 10, 10 minis just trying to get past each other in Tetris fashion. Thankfully, we did manage to fit a couple in each space. So that, that did give us a bit more bit more room but it it was great to get back out again in the cars but hey stuff's happening now we're we're getting out and about there are places that we're going to get to go to yes we're off to the british motor show which i kind of forgotten was it kind of disappeared for a bit but it's uh it seems to be back again which is good this is thankfully not cancelled because we were supposed to be going to an ev road show this week as well weren't we We were supposed to be going to that in fact today and then we got an email last week saying Oh, actually, we've cancelled it. So thankfully, we hadn't booked hotels and things for it. But nevertheless, that become a, an online event now, uh, and this is this is still happening. So there's uh, there's a number of things going on at the the British Motor Show, apart from obviously as you expect cars. But there's there's owners clubs and uh, Car SOS are going to pitch up and be there. And there's, there's there's a fair bit going on, isn't there? It does look interesting. It looks a genuine effort to produce a British Motor Show. I'm not sure the level of manufacturer support that it's got just yet, but you know the 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 great days of of Birmingham and then sort of London shows, uh, Alexander Palace and so on. But I, I I don't think it's quite there yet. But hopefully it it will get there because God knows the size of the motor industry in this country. If we can't put together a halfway decent motor show, shame on all of us. Yay Honda! Oh hang on. There was there was a, a time when Ford would spend one to two million pounds on a stand at the motor show, uh, as you know, and others would try and sort of match that sort of money. And we don't have the motor show uh, as a part of the Festival of Speed anymore, which is a shame. But again, it became very very expensive. The Audi stand, I seem to remember, took up half the county. It's massive. <laughs> Well, they're holding it somewhere different this year, aren't they? It's at Farnborough, which does have a bit of a connection when it comes to uh, transport, obviously more of the flying sort, but it's uh, it's an interesting location. It'd be um, very interesting to see what you make of the place. I'm just looking at what's on. You've got Mike Brewer holding holding court in the live arena. So, and then, of course, you mentioned the Car SOS people. That's uh, always a highly entertaining show. I do like that one. It's quite interesting to see what they manage to do and the, the heartstrings they tug in the process lots going on by the looks of it paul swift as well which is always good value when you watch him um, spin park into a space little bigger than a cigarette packet yeah i'm looking forward to that because i was uh, lucky enough to get uh, driven round by paul swift in uh, well, i say driven round i mean round and round and round and round and backwards and round and round on a uh, on a ford day out so i got uh, got strapped in and had to commentate uh, what he was doing as he was doing it but i was quite surprised to see that the the reverse camera uh, in the Focus RS, works all the way up to the rev limiter in reverse gear, and it's, uh, it gives uh, an amazing sensation of speed when you look at that. In uh, when you're doing whatever we're doing, 40 miles, 30 miles an hour in reverse, and it was uh, no, he's uh, he's always good value, and I think there's a, there's a bit of catrum drifting uh, going on, and um, under 17s can uh, can get behind the wheel of a car for a little 20 minute driving experience. So I think they they've put. Uh, a good amount of effort into making it an interactive day out, which is uh, quite important. And I think if it was a day of just walking around looking at things uh, and everything was too far away and you couldn't touch anything or do anything, it would uh, it would maybe lose a bit of appeal. So it's nice to see that, that they've put on 
as much of a, as much of a show as uh, as they're able to. So it should be a good day out. And test drives as well, apparently. So you know, put your gloves on and away you go. Indeed. This is where places I think like Earl's Court ultimately failed because it didn't sort of move on. It was it was basically standing in a in a conveyor belt of humans desperately trying to see a car. Too crowded. You didn't get to see very much. You certainly didn't get to look in any of the cars. Well, as, as Dave says, I think I'll, I'd like to get behind the wheel of some, some cars. I'm definitely looking forward to being able to get out there and, and um, experience a bit more in, in terms of car shows. We just see some of the cars in person. We've seen so much that's been released online, virtual events, that to be able to, to, to get out there and enjoy it is, is going to be it's going to be great. Just having a look at the uh, the site plan, I quite like the fact that uh, due to the uh, the size of the site, uh, they've obviously done the normal map, but they've also done what three words as well for the entire site. Uh, so what, whatever you want mm. to go and do, you can pop the uh, the what three words in. So uh, I don't think there's anything uh, particularly suggestive, but there's some uh, there's some good ones. If you want to go karting, then you type in odd tracks abode. So odd tracks that uh, that kind of makes sense. Bring gold well, rope if you want to uh, go and see Paul Swift. So. Yeah, quite like some of these. What Bring three gold. words to me? Whenever you listen to the what three words words, it sounds like you're trying to activate a Soviet spy. One last thing I think we're definitely going to need to make uh, a bit of time to have a look at. Cause I think it's going to be quite a busy day Thursday with everything to uh, to try and squeeze into one day. But Retro Electric, uh, the only show dedicated to electrifying classics. So uh, there's there's converted EVs on there and suppliers and people that will work with you and supply the bits or even do the conversion for you. Uh, a couple of owners' cars. So I'll be quite uh, quite interested to see what's there and, and what's possible. I mean, there's a... Uh, there's a Mustang on the uh, on the flyer page, and uh, and a couple of older looking cars as well, and uh, VW camper buses and things like that. They're also promoting a thing called Crazy Creations, where if you want to go and have a look at weird, wonderful, and um, quite strange things, that's the place to go. They even um, they even talked about modified cars in there, which looks quite quite fun as well as oddball caravans. Aren't they all oddball, or is that just the people that go in them? <laughs> oh. Having spent a couple of nights under canvas when it was with rain a couple of weeks ago, I tell you what, I'd take the caravan over the tent every single time, but that would be an extremist thing. I would rather do neither. I'm a great uh, fan of motor caravans. We've had several VW buses, and um, coming back to your experiences with tents, yeah, I had some, when my kids were small, some really, really awful tenting holidays. But I can remember being somewhere on the north... Devon coast when a massive storm uh, apparently hit and uh, we had the uh, the VW bus rocking a little bit but the kids were asleep up in up in the folding Did you roof, know? and it was just fine but until we opened the door in the morning to find the site flooded and all the tents had been blown away and apparently the police were rescuing people in the middle of the night um, because they had nowhere to go uh, and the police had even persuaded the local laundromat to open up so people could dry their clothes out. We didn't even know anything really had happened, so... Camper vans I like. German engineering. Military vehicles at the Wings Museum. Could I ask you to introduce yourself? Stuart Scarry, and organiser of the Big Knock Diesel Motorcycle Rally. Well, Stuart, we're... Standing next to what is a diesel motorbike now, I didn't know they did diesel motorbikes, so this is all new to me. Yeah, well this is uh, an army prototype, it's based on a Kawasaki KLR650, uh, its real name is an M1030M1, 
the B1 variant of the bike being the petrol version, the M1 variant being the diesel or multi-fuel uh, bike. So this, this is British Army? Yes, this is a British prototype. There was only uh, several made. Um, they got progressively better uh, before production went to America with Hayes Diversified Technologies and F1 doing the engineering. So, so what era are we talking about? Just looking at it and motorbikes, it looks relatively modern. Yes, the bike is a fairly new uh, Kawasaki KLR650. They made that particular bike for many years. This bike is probably around 12 years old. The engine is uh, completely new, different from the uh, original Kawasaki. Uh, but everything else is pretty much the same. It's quite a standard KLR650 really. Um, obviously the petrol tank's a bit different. It's uh, much bigger. Some of the light fittings are from earlier model Kawasaki's. But no, it's essentially for the ease of maintenance, it's a pretty standard bike. And it looks... Uh, I'm going to use the term industrial in the sense of... Uh, big iron girders in there almost with the suspension and things <laughs> well it's a standard kawasaki klr 650 yeah if you need to change a wheel in the field it's very easy to do so you can stick a log under the back there um, if, if your starter button goes you can just jam a screwdriver in the relay and start it <laughs> does that mean it disappears from tesco car parks though or does it not go to tesco car parks <laughs> no it's just, it, it, i go shopping occasionally on it yeah but um it's, it's just a bit different and uh, this is probably the only one on the road in the UK. I think there's one more which belongs to the Fusiliers that may be in a museum up north but the rest are uh, in the United States and there's one or two in Europe around but um, there'll be, there'll be the more modern version of the bike this being the prototype. So prototype, not many around, I presume it never really caught on? Well there was some issues when they produced the later versions in America uh, it, it revved higher there were some issues with the, um, the mechanics of the engine um, basically not working too well the um, advance and retard I think it is on the uh, the diesel sort of side of it and uh, they started braking and so they kind of the bikes kind of disappeared off the scene the British Army went over to the quad bikes and this bike which was produced um, kind of just disappeared and it kind of some of the American ones ended up with the Tennessee Police Department um, parked out in their car park for years um, they are modified in the States by uh, Will Flores uh, Rick Green who used to work for HDT and uh, those are the bikes to get the ones that have been modified uh, they do rev a lot higher than the British prototype here this this bike revs typically to uh, 3.9 4,000 revs the American version will rev closer to 7,500 revs so was that just taste of Americans or, or a practical reason that they had for wanting them to go that bit higher? Well, you get all your power from a diesel low down with a torque and they don't really need to rev that high. And but presumably speed isn't necessarily what it's made for? No, the bikes are uh, geared notoriously low for the mud uh, with the, um, the mud pluggers really. So uh, like for this one when I got it, you had to change the sprocket several times trying to get it right just for the road. It's not a fast bike, it's a back lanes bike. Um, I've had to take the knobbly tyres off it and put trail tyres on it uh, simply because it's a bit unridable on the road. But it's uh, it's ideal for the back lanes and exploring. It does. Uh, it's supposed to have a range of 300 miles plus on a tank, which I can testify to. But uh, you don't want to run it dry at a can of petrol because obviously being diesel, you can suck in air to the system. So uh, you have to bleed these things if you do run out of fuel. You've got a decompressor on the handlebars 
and uh, a little uh, tap underneath which will turn and you just turn the engine over and it takes the air out of the system and the new diesel just comes in and uh, yeah off she goes again. You're saying you're using it quite a lot there, I mean how many miles in a year roughly? Well they're saying it's probably the most widely travelled uh, army diesel bike there is at the moment because I've just done over 10,000. I just uh, I went out to the um, the Royal Logistics uh, Museum out north of Winchester and on that run it passed the 10,000 mile mark so uh, yeah it's still going fine it's um, got the uh, glow plugs on it it's like a Humvee, Humvee system you turn the key you get the red light flowing you wait for the glow plug to come up you hit the starter up it goes and it, it starts every time yeah it's a great bike and you mentioned when you introduced yourself that you organize events for other like-minded people dare, dare I say how many other like-minded people are there there are quite a few, actually. Uh, it was always a bit of a gamble when we did the first diesel motorcycle rally. We never knew what was going to turn up. But uh, we were pleasantly surprised. We had um, quite a few people in the campsite. I mean, it was 10 or 15 people, 10 or 15 bikes. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of since grown. It did actually go from old generator engines in bikes to modern smart car engines, ECU controlled being in bikes, uh, until the government said well, everything's going electric and that kind of pulled the plug on it a bit. But um, no, we had some very uh, efficient bikes, if a little heavy, and uh, there was a whole range of bikes from, from 250cc bikes that would do a maximum of 30 mile an hour to uh, ECU controlled bikes that would do uh, about 120. So um, yeah, it depends what you want from your bike. Um, of course, the one thing that all the bikes had in common was really good MPG. The Tiger I had had a smart car engine in it, 800cc diesel, would do uh, 130 miles to the gallon. Some of the small bikes can do closer to 180 to the gallon. But uh, yeah, it's, diesel is, is still, I think, the best fuel out there. But uh, obviously, with pollution concerns, uh, the government think otherwise. So, um. yes, but if you're doing 180 miles to the gallon, it's probably a, a little footprint that you're putting out there. Yeah, yeah, there's not uh, not too many of them around and um yeah, I mean I bet you the army won't be going electric as quick as everybody else <laughs> because uh, in all of their vehicles, you know, but um, Re- recharging yeah. in the field might be an issue. <laughs> it certainly would. Yeah, yeah, it's been all that armor to pull around. Um <laughs> yeah. And you say there are quite a few different kinds of these motorbikes. You've, you've mentioned a few there. Are these personal modded projects or is there a company that have done these things or or were they actually sort of made new with diesel engines? Uh, most of them are personal projects. The most prevalent bike on the scene is the Royal Enfield Bullet. Uh, you have a separate engine and gearbox so it's easy to remove the engine and put a, um, a diesel engine of your choice and to make up some brackets, fairly simple. So you'll see a whole range of Enfields with anything from Lombardini engines in, Ruggerinis, all sorts and uh, People use them as, as like little projects and of course with no electronics involved in, in the, it's quite easy to do, it's just a mechanical thing which I think is a big appeal on the early scene. You know, the latter, latter bikes with the ECU controls were uh, not easy to get up and running, getting ECUs that worked was not easy. Um, there's been one or two companies have gone that route, um, there's a, a company in Holland which uh, no longer exists called Track, and they produce a T800 CDI which has a smart car engine. Uh, we have one of those bikes in the garage. Uh, that doesn't have a gearbox, that has a CVT type drive on it. 
it's not quite as efficient as a bike with a gearbox. It will do perhaps 90 to the gallon, 100 to the gallon. People will know it as the old daft type twist and go uh, belt system. But um, there have been, and well, that and the army bike, there haven't really been many other. There's been some people who do kits for bikes, uh, Price Park motorcycles, Henry Price does a kit. Um, there's all sorts of engines around. The Yanmars were the original, uh, most reliable engines. There's copies of Yanmars, which aren't so good. And I wouldn't advise people to build projects around copies mm-hmm. of engines. Um, not the most reliable. But, uh, yeah, the, the Royal Enfield is probably the most uh, common bike. There's a good, you, if you want to see anything, um, you can go to the website, which is uh, dieselbike.net. That's all one word. And on there we have uh, past rally pictures and write-ups and reports. And that shows you a good variety of the bikes that were around. And uh, there can be all sorts on there. Um, BMWs. Um, one of the old car engines, the uh, Sherrard engine, was quite good. It was a three-cylinder diesel. And that fits quite nicely onto a BMW K75 um, <laughs> gearbox. I'm, and, sure they, um, I'm sure they planned that. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd be surprised. Yeah, the, um, all the bolt holes and threads all line up. When you try and make the uh, the flywheel to the BMW um, clutch, it all, all goes uh, all goes together, and very little machining is required on the flywheel of the car. So, just one more time, that website address for more information. It's uh, www.dieselbike.net. And just one more question: Are you planning any more rallies at the moment? Yeah, we've just had our uh, 2021 rally in between the lockdowns. And the next gathering may be in Bavaria later on uh, this summer, depending on how the travel restrictions go. Uh, But uh, we should be back in the early summer 2022 in the UK, somewhere in Sussex. Um, Often criticised for holding it down south, but uh, it gives the guys on the continent a chance to get over. It's quite central uh, as far as Europe goes. And if we have it elsewhere, it... uh, as the Germans found out having it in northern Germany, no one turns up. So you really you have to kind of have it in a place that hopefully sorts everyone out. But it will be in Sussex next year. Everyone's welcome to come along and have a look. Keep an eye on the website for the dates. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, just hearing that as he as he rode off into the sunset, there didn't sound particularly diesely to me. It just sounded like a standard sort of low revving motorbike with a hole in the exhaust. But uh, I love stuff like this. Interesting, um, the way sort of military dead ends that they go down, but other people take it on. As he mentioned, the Americans obviously thought there was more to it, but being Americans, they had to wind it up to eleven and double the uh, the RPM. It does make you wonder whether. You know, this is going to be the the future still for the military, or are the military going to have to go electric like the rest of us are going to have to go electric? As um, you know, sort of shouting "charge" somewhere in the desert, <laughs> or when there's a whole load of your enemy the other side of a sand dune, probably could be misconstrued somewhat, could it not? But uh, yeah, motorbikes are used quite considerably by certain certain sectors of the um, the military, and I know they're they're quite popular amongst the pathfinders and certain 
areas special forces use them so you can see the benefits of being able to go a long way on, without having to cart loads of extra fuel tanks around with you or having to uh, resupply in the middle of nowhere but there's also the fact that you can run these things on more than just diesel because diesel engines can obviously run on other things other than just your standard diesel i mean i think it was it jp8 or something that was uh you know that's aviation fuel and if you can get the thing to run on aviation fuel you can also get it to run on chip fat from the naffy as well as the diesel so i suppose it makes it a little bit more flexible as you rightly say special forces have always uh, used motorcycles i remember seeing in a museum relatively recently the ones that were being uh, strapped to the back of uh, para the para regiment um and, and landing in holland tiny little single cylinder things that they actually just strapped on their backs and jumped out they might have got down to the ground slightly quicker but they weren't that heavy they were like a like a kid's scooter but certainly very very effective for rapid deployment and uh, clearly that was what was desirable but uh, uh, the military have sort of always spent huge amounts of money on kit sometimes that kit has worked very well and sometimes not but uh, we were talking about sort of rodding and modding and, and so on and resto mod and all the terms that are there now and this was really sort of came out of uh, late 40s early 50s out of the end of world war Two and uh, and uh, certainly uh, korea there was so much military kit just laid around in america surplus to requirements that, that you know the youngsters of their day with some mechanical nows were stripping stuff apart and building you know bonneville races and drag races and uh, all kinds of I illegal street races because the kit was there and it was dirt cheap and i guess that's that's you know we've got this concept of resto mod now which usually means it's a very very expensive way of modernizing a classic car you know, upgrading the brakes and, and all of the things that were the less than desirable in the original classic um, but yeah that's that's hot rodding technology essentially and that's the stuff I've been following since I was a kid in the early 50s that is I think it's uh, it, it only makes sense doesn't it to to take what you have and and, and run with it there are some some pretty crazy cars that people have, have made since you know with um, Merlin engines and the like in which are obviously just a bit too heavy to be practical let's be honest but but you think some of the, the fastest cars in the world have used jet engine parts or you know the igniters or whatever from there's some really exciting stuff whether or not we're going to be able to to use military i mean military stuff now there's a lot of it looks maybe almost a bit backwards because it's designed to work in these harsh environments you have old land rovers that run uh, you know an old-fashioned type of engine or we have big diesels perhaps but i think they're kind of not really in vogue for for the modifying scene i i, I think the modifying scene as was has, has probably changed quite considerably because it's just that bit harder to do something to to a car i mean when i was a, a kid growing up i mean it was the max power generation so everything was just plastic stick on body kits and such never really my thing on one hand now you can remap a car and make it quite a bit more powerful um but the the current the current theme seems to be you buy a car you get a set of expensive wheels finance some air suspension uh, and get a remap done which seems to always be in different stages so stage one is this and stage two is that and no one really knows what that means or or otherwise it's just 
prohibitive because of the, the cost of doing it in the first place. I think there's a lot more that you could do to cars that were coming out of the 80s and 90s and, and be able to get that out there and, and enjoy it. I remember changing, uh, the first thing I did on uh, on any car I bought was, um, yeah, change wheels, change suspension, uh, change the stereo. That was a major thing for the inside and upgrade the speakers. Yeah, you can't do that you, now, really, you can't, can you? You can't change a stereo, can you? Because it means the car won't work. And that's it, because yeah. the stereo does everything, and it's so so interwoven into the the electrical system of the car. It's um, it sort of takes the fun out of it, really, doesn't it? I think I think it does a bit. I mean, let's face it, they are a lot better. Things like y- your in car audio now is so much better than the uh, than the, what we used to get little single din, probably tape decks. Let's face it, in your in your first car back then, mini disc, uh, mini disc, mini disc. So stuff sounds sounds a lot better, but I was looking back through some some memories that popped up on my Facebook. It was saying it was ten years ago that I I stuck the first two liter in the onion. I can't believe a decade's gone by, and I'm I'm looking now, at obviously rebuilding it and everything else. It's in, it's in bits in the garage as we speak. Uh, hopefully, more updates on that soon. But that's oh, that's exactly the, the the same thing, Michael. It's it's you know the 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 whole hot rod ethos was take out the flathead forward put in the biggest v8 that that you could squeeze in even if it stuck through the through the bonnet uh and you know the v8 was was there because well, there were millions of them the v8s were dirt cheap the difference i guess is recently as i say i try and keep an, an eye on uh, the differences between the way modding and hot rodding is being done in in the states and and, and here uh, and there suddenly they've they've uh, taken off all the superchargers, which was always the great uh, feature on the top of a V8, and they've all gone for uh, turbos. So suddenly, America, the American hot rodder, is adopting the turbo technology, which has been around in Europe for forty years now. Perhaps it reflects the way that um, so engine technology has gone in the last few years smaller engines smaller capacity but boosted by turbos for efficiency if nothing else and i'm sure obviously the hot rodding community aren't going for efficiency but perhaps the developments in turbo technology that have sprung from the fact that every car's now got one bolted to it mean that it's more efficient and turbos are more the way to go they wouldn't be using it if not i should imagine well, I mean, it's it's got a bit ridiculous in 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 one sense because you know, we're 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 seeing thousand brake horsepower, uh, multi-million pound cars appearing in this country. The Americans are doing the same thing with with V8s, but massive V8s, crate engines uh, that come with all the bits on them. You just drop them into place, strap two turbos on, and suddenly you've got a thousand brake horsepower, and it's street legal. It's it's just quite amazing. You only have to drive something from. I don't know, 15 years ago, and drive something new now. If I drive uh, the old Focus I've got, Mark II Focus, is 2006, like they all were. It's a 1.6 naturally aspirated engine. You drive that, and you drive it compared to something like a a one-litre Fiesta now, and it just feels so flat by comparison. It gives you that efficiency, but it it also fills in the gaps and makes the cars a lot more sprightly uh, and just generally better to drive. the, The Focus was really lethargic, by comparison um and you're talking similar levels of power both of them are just over 100 brake horsepower but unquestionably even a a current focus with a one liter is much faster than an old 1.6 but when it comes to the turbocharging yeah we've we've moved on to the point where technology is is there that relatively cheaply and relatively simply you can bolt a turbocharger onto to most things and make it go very quickly indeed and, and why not until um until such time as we have more accessible 
power plants available to us in, in terms of electric bits, and I think more of it will come, then it certainly seems to be a, a really good way of, of making cheap and relatively reliable power if you don't get too carried away. Jim's comment about uh, stereos was reminding me of uh, driving many years ago a 56 Thunderbird. And if you pressed one of the buttons on the radio, it's completely analogue, all the dials were turned to find the, the station that you'd selected, which I just, it's like a, a fairground dashboard. It's just a wonderful thing. <laughs> like a fruit machine. <laughs> yeah, I was reading an, an interview with um, Marte Rimac the other day. I don't know if you, if you guys know much uh, about him. He's an interesting chap. He's, he's really about my sort of age, and he's just... The cars that he produces, the, the various different Rimacs, one that Hammond famously crashed, are, are just something incredible. And he's obviously now tied up with, with Bugatti. But his idea for using an electric power plant wasn't because it was the environmentally the green thing to do or necessarily that it was the future, but it was just a fantastic way of being able to go very fast. If there was an engine that would do the same thing, then he probably would have looked at that. But just the idea that that, that he can employ this technology and, and use an electric motor as a, as a means of making a fast car, I think it, it, it's very interesting because we seem to have moved on now to a point where electric cars can be interesting rather than milk floats. Dave, you, you've driven a, a, an electric car recently, admittedly just a, a, an everyday hatch, and you were quite impressed by by the way that you get the, the power and torque. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of rather belatedly compared to the rest of you, I suspect I've finally got behind the wheel of a, of a fully electric car. I mean, I've sat in the passenger seat of quite a few in the course of my duties with IAM over the years and it's, that's been a that's been quite an eye opener but actually sitting behind the wheel of it was a Nissan Leaf the new shape one uh, it's 2 3 years old it wasn't the um, the more speedy one that they've brought out relatively recently but even so this thing you know I was expecting it just to trundle along but um you know, when I was told by its owner, go on, put your foot down and see what it'll do, <laughs> I obviously didn't need too much bidding. Um, I was very decently surprised. It, um, I think it was doing 0-60 to 60 in about 7.5 seconds, which is still decently quick for any hatchback, really. But the the way it did it with so little noise, so little fuss, and actually felt like a decent car underneath it you know it's heavy obviously because it's got a sudden great battery pack underneath it and big heavy electric motors but i think in some ways i really felt that the thing was properly planted it felt like it wanted to go around corners it went into corners wanting to go into them rather than me having to haul it in and obviously i wasn't going mad because it was somebody else's pride and joy but it really impressed me and i think you know, I've I think I've finally really embraced the fact that this is going to be the future, and much as we're going to miss them, they're going to be around for a long time yet in classic form. But petrol and diesel engines are, you know, their days are definitely numbered. And I think my experience of electric power at last has um, finally woken me up to that. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't unimpressed. I think I can face the future with some courage. I entirely agree. Now, I've been tempted on and off by the idea of looking at a, a, an electric Mini as a, as a means of getting around because I've now got to the point where leases are a couple hundred pounds a month and you've got to think how much do you put into a car in terms of fuel. A car almost sort of pays for itself going for electric. But I saw, in, in the course of my research, I found a, a quite an interesting video which I, I'll stick up on our social shortly. And the GP3, the, the, the John Cooper Works GP3 Mini, and the electric mini, which is just uh, which is dressed as a Cooper S, they they sit the two of them on a drag strip, 
and uh, the results are to my mind surprising so yeah pop online see see for yourself but uh, i'm entirely impressed by the possibility of of electric power as a means of 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 getting an interesting and quick car for potentially not a lot of running costs not necessarily not a lot of outlay i think we're going to be looking back on petrol cars we take them out because we want to to go out for the drive the experience the that they're sort of blatting down a country road, but accepting the fact that the chances are they're not going to be as quick as our, our our everyday cars. In much the same way that we, when you jump into something like a, an RS Turbo now, 130 brake horsepower, or even something like an RS Cosworth, Sierra Cosworth. Uh, Jim and I have both driven an Escort Cosworth not that, not that long ago in standard trim at just over 200 brake horsepower, 205 brake, whatever it was. And they don't feel fast. You drive it for experience. I think we're going to find ourselves in that sort of position soon. Now, the the leaf is just is just a, a car as you say it is just a, a normal family car but it, it is surprising the performance you can get out of it considering what it is and what it's intended to do yep i was very impressed very impressed indeed and um you know lord help me if i ever get behind the wheel of a tesla because you won't see me for dust <laughs> did anybody see the guy martin recently where uh, he wanted to go uh, for uh, the quickest dragging uh, uh, electric car, and they found uh, somebody in Wales who was a specialist in converting classics, and they they, they basically took a Beetle and uh, and modded it considerably, only to find it on the the morning of the uh, of the day they were going to do it that Jay Leno had just taken the record at a speed that they couldn't hope to match with a Tesla, uh, but nevertheless they were running low tens i think something like 10.16 now uh, in the 80s we were running a uh, supercharged 350 chevy in a plastic bodied car and couldn't get anywhere near that sort of speed i think we were running about 12s so um yeah he certainly uh he, he certainly liked it i mean he was he was converted so to speak uh, Im- immediately to the idea of electric cars and what they could offer Superb for off-roading as well. I know we, we've been beating this drum uh, a fair bit because it's a new, exciting technology, and and to me at least, as a as a, a an old-fashioned petrol head, I am continually surprised by what electric cars can do. I was an absolute skeptic ten years ago. If someone had said to me, "Look, you'd be interested in driving one," I would have said it's nonsense. I'm not interested. They're milk floats. Um, I'd driven a, a number of different um, older electric cars. Um, like the older Leaf and the the older Renaults, and yes, they're interesting. But when yeah, they, they didn't really didn't tickle my pickle. But we've suddenly moved on to uh, to a point where th- these are these are practical and possible. And when you look at something like an electric Defender, and we mentioned electric classic cars before, Graham, you said about uh, uh, the the chap in Wales that was converting them, and I guess they were a relatively um, relatively pioneers in in the market, and they've created a a very interesting electric defender and they've taken it off-road and taken it wading and 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 they've done all the things that you would do with an off-roader um but electric motors can run incredibly slowly incredibly smoothly and produce a huge amount of torque it's stuff like this is great for off-road i think we just need to get to a a position where we uh we can we can produce batteries that are are cheaper less environmentally damaging and and can hold a, a a bigger charge for their for their relative weight and suddenly we we will have we will have moved on into a, an entire new generation of quite interesting stuff that will be be pretty quick. Does this mean that when 
the, the next generation of drivers come through, they will be looking to modify their electric cars. How do you do that? I mean, is it going to be a case of you'll be able to remap them and make them ridiculously quick or swap the batteries out? Are these going to be like our, our beloved Tamiya cars? Who knows? Certainly you won't be ripping the stereo out of it. Presumably you won't be ripping springs out of it and then letting it uh, scrape along the deck because you, you don't really want to do that with a big battery pack underneath. Put an engine in it. Yeah, well, why not? Let's go full <laughs> circle. But it's interesting you're sort of talking about The Defender and I know the show that you, you mentioned. It's a very good series. It's on yesterday, so if you've got the UK TV player app, if you're in the UK at least, then you can go back and watch it. Um, it's called Vintage Voltage was the series, and it was very, you're very right. interesting. Mm. Um, but just thinking about the um, the practical applications of off-roading and going back to the military, if they can crack the um, the charging in the field thing and the not charging in the field <laughs> uh, problem, then electric vehicles are the perfect thing for the military because they are just so quiet. Yes, there's yes. gear whine and there's clanking and tank tracks and things but you haven't got a dirty great big diesel engine out the back clattering away have you so you know if you can sneak up on your enemy so much the better electric scrambler bikes are are a prime example of this and certainly there are places where people are allowed to use electric bikes where they wouldn't be able to use your normal off-road bikes because of the noise and nuisance that they they make sort of buzzing around like angry wasps whereas actually if you're if you're you know tanking through a forest or whatever you're doing on something electric they're not going to hear you coming and if we get to a point where a bike can be parachuted in because it's light enough and it can maybe be the batteries can be swapped out easily or or you know they the bikes can be just be left behind and discarded then it could be a great way of getting over a very decent distance silently and and pretty quickly if you're looking to get into somewhere and what a great idea uh, well I, I i suspect michael that you've just hit on something that's uh possibly a year or two behind where the military are at because they're not going to tell us this but i would be very surprised if they're not already there with with just that idea because it's it's just perfect for what they want whilst we were staying at donington we stayed at the uh, east midlands airport premier inn which was fine for me because mine was at the back and you had the double glazing and then sort of secondary double glazing inside um, although Jim's room was at the front, so bearing in mind that they've got, um, we should maybe we should have mentioned this earlier on, quite a strict noise limit of 98 decibels, which is great when you're staying in in the Premier and you hear a siren warning everyone that the plane's going to take off. Then they start a jet engine and it takes off directly above you and flies directly above the track. So if you're bearing in mind that they use cameras or sensors or whatever it is all the way around the track to detect how much noise you're producing what happens when the jet flies over you because my god it's loud uh, you're right under the flight path and it, it just it's just an absolute joke that, that, that you can't exceed a certain volume when, when these come flying over and you, you can't you, you, know, you really can't hear yourself think it's just hope your fiesta's not too loud many years ago we took the kids to see concord uh, take off at uh, heathrow and just just the noise was unbelievable. I really do miss Concord. It's, there's the new... I mean, so this is turning into uh, plane talk now, isn't it? I apologise. But there is a new supersonic... In fact, I believe there's more than one, but the main one is a thing called Boom, isn't it? Which is like a slightly more scaled-down version of Concord, but it's um, it's like business jet, but it's supersonic, and that thing should be flying within the next three or four years, they reckon. I saw that. That's quite interesting. Mm. There might be... I mean, I doubt you, because it's, it's not the Farnborough Air Show you're going to, but there may be some bits and pieces knocking around, because I'm sure they wouldn't miss the opportunity to try and um, sell up a bit. 
Yeah. <laughs> sort of think, thinking of buying a micro. No, no, what you need is this. The Robinson R44 will get you there a lot quicker. It's, uh, it's the right place to go and ask the right questions anyway. There's been quite a few of those crash recently. I don't know if you've seen the R44. There's been a few turnover. It's not the helicopter I would buy. If I had the money, I would save up and get something with a turbine in it, not a Robinson. Yes, yeah, a twin turbine jet copter. would would be lovely. I, I'd definitely, if, I, if I'd won the bigger money, I would still buy a Bell 222. Even though they're not perhaps the nicer to fly, live out your airwolf fantasies. Absolutely, yeah. yeah I, I, I spoke to the chap who's airwolf. got the. Yes, I spoke to the chap who's got the airwolf livery chopper down in Kent. It doesn't have the oh, side nice. pods on, ah. but I spoke to him at Goodwood, and he said, "Well, you know, it's just so expensive to fly. It's it's a thousand pounds every air hour you're up, and the bits are expensive and maintenance, and it's not actually that manoeuvrable. It's a real testament to the pilots that flew flew the airwolf in the show, the, the Bell Two Twenty Two." Because it was hard to get them to pop up and, and flip over, apart from anything else, because they've got two blades. As you sort of go to, to perform these sort of high angle flips and manoeuvres and such, they tend to bend down and you don't want to cut the back end of your chopper off, um, so to speak. Um, but yeah, he, he, offered, he said it is available to buy at £750,000 if you wanted so, to buy it. It's like, yeah, I would. I would absolutely buy it. If I had £140 million, there's not a question. I would buy that. I'll send it to the chap in America who made the one for um, for a museum based on the original plans and converted. It was a, a static static chopper. But I would have him do that to it. And then I would bring it back and just, just enjoy it. I'd want the weapons to pop in and out and everything. I'd want all of these things uh, <laughs> and relive my weird Cold War 1980s TV show fantasy. It's a weird, it's a weird idea, but I... I I would absolutely love to fly one. And every time you started it up, it just plays the theme tune on a yes. loop. What have that, that? There's that computer noise that every every in the eighties, everything made that noise as that noise that that all the computers make in every eighties TV show or film. I I saw recently on that on that particular thing a BMW i8 which had been done in entirely in matte black. And it looked like Night Rider. It looked really, really <laughs> spectacular. But the the, the one I always uh, sort of rather fancied goes back a bit further. Uh, the Monsters. Does anybody remember the Monsters TV show? Yeah, oh yes. Yeah. All yeah. those George Barris creations. That, and I particularly, it was a Barris car, wasn't it? Yeah, they were they were just wonderful cars. But particularly the um, hearse, the V eight powered hearse, which I think is just spectacular. He did a number of others, didn't he? He um, did a lot. Barris. He, he, did he lot. was yeah. famous because he did. Didn't he do the um, the original Adam West spec Batmobile yep. as well? He did. Yep. That was Barris. Yeah, yep. the Futura. What else did he? Didn't he do as well the um, the Beverly Hillbillies car? Was that one of his, or am I thinking? Of oh, something what the else? the pickup truck? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. the one with Grandma He'd... sat on the back on the big chair right at the top. He did. He did all that sort of stuff for all those TV series uh, at that at that time. I, I think he died relatively recently. But he's still got a museum with a lot of his um, well, you uh, say a lot this, of his creations in. Now this is important news because the Barris brothers' place, and yes, there were loads of custom cars. He did the Monkey Mobile. He did the one for um, the yeah. Green Hornet. He did pretty much every star. He did the cars for them, so that yeah, that he was the customizer of choice. Wasn't he? he was the word for Hot Rods, the, sort of the, the gospel, if you like. But the the land, the building itself, the museum, has come up for sale. Oh, right. um, the lot is offered at three point nine nine five million and is almost certainly destined for redevelopment. Package includes the showroom that still houses a Batmobile, the garages where George and Sam Barris did custom body work for celebrities including Elvis Presley, Elton John, James Dean, John Wayne, 
so on, so on. And certainly there, there are a lot of people say it should be kept, it should be kept as a museum, but it looks like they're going to potentially demolish it for houses. That's a damn shame. Yeah, and that's happened that recently. Yeah, I mean, it's a hugely, hugely influential character on, on Hot Rods and such, obviously. My knowledge of him in that regard pales into insignificance compared to what you know, Graham. But I was just around there at the time and you weren't, that's all. In, in terms of movie cars, there's so many iconic cars that he produced. Like you say, the Futura uh, Batmobile. And it's so a theme many. that we should uh, perhaps address in the future, cars, cars in the movies and uh, our favourite movie cars. So maybe that's... Yeah, uh, for sure. For a future special. Worth a Google, just because of some of the cars are so outlandish. Some of the cars he produced for uh, all of those series. And I, I think the Monsters are, the, the for me, the classic ones, because they were just so bizarre mm. that anybody could, could dream those things up. But um, they just came out of that whole hot-rodding thing from the from the 40s yeah. and 50s. From the Monsters, uh, the Monsters coach all the way through to, to Knight Rider, as you say. you know the, He's created some, mm. some incredible cars. I'm, I'm pretty sure Knight Rider was one of his as well, wasn't it? Uh, I think I, I not can sure. go. Not sure. I can go to no other authority than um, Wikipedia, which I have open in front of me. And uh, yes, he did. He was involved with Knight Rider, but the later cars were were his. Oh. And if you're a bit of a bit of a geek who grew up with uh, Glenn A. Larson's output over the years, as mm-hmm. what I did, and me being the right age, you can tell in later episodes that Kit is slightly different. The buttons are different. There's more lights. There's more yep. stuff on it, yep. and it does more stuff. So yes. I suspect that that was Barris's doing, so that would tie in with uh, what it says here on Wikipedia. And he did indeed do the Beverly Hill Billies. It was a 1921 Oldsmobile touring car that was turned into a truck. So, yes, he did. He did a lot of things, and um, I think it would be a crying shame if indeed they did demolish his former place of business. Oh, oh, hang on. He also did the Wagon Queen family truckster for uh, National Lampoon. Well, he's a god in my book, then, if that's the case. Best car ever. Well, at this point, I reckon it's probably time that we said goodbye. Now, next time we speak to you, we will have visited the British Motor Show. So we'll have that to come to you soon. But until then, don't forget to check us out on the socials. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. We'll be able to see our Donington video and some of the other stuff we've been chatting about this evening. So from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Jim, goodbye. Take care. From me, Graham, goodbye. Good night. Me, Dave. Goodbye. Have a great couple of weeks. See you soon. And thank you for joining us for our hundredth podcast. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.